Chapter 21 of Dawn of the Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melissa Green. Dawn of the Morning by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter 21. It was in front of the Golden Swan that she met Harrington. He was just coming down the steps and must have arrived the night before. He stopped suddenly, with the look in his eyes like a cat's when she spies a bird and crouching steals slowly nearer. Dawn paused for just an instant, too, in wild dismay, having the instinct to flee, yet realizing that she must not, because the whole town would think it strange. She wished to have the power to pass him unrecognized, yet with sudden sinking of soul she knew that she had not. His eye had met hers with recognition, and she must hold her position courageously. She wished she knew all the circumstances of his giving her up, and it flashed across her that she must not let him know that she was ignorant of them. He must have no advantage, for his strange power over her might crush her in spite of herself. Something tightened round her heart and gripped it like a vice as his cold, calculating glance looked her over, and a cruel satisfaction settled about his hateful mouth. Dawn gave a sort of gasp and started on, summoning all the spirit with which she had vanquished Silas Dobson, and wondering why she could not be as haughty and brave now. The sight of Daniel's butternut-clad shoulders in the distance, waiting at the corner with a group of other boys, gave her courage but her face was white, and she felt her limbs trembling beneath her. But Harrington Winthrop did not intend to let her slip through his fingers thus easily, now that he had found her apparently far from her natural guardians. He, of course, knew nothing of her marriage to his brother. He hastened down the steps with effusive manner and smiling countenance, and extended his hand in a warm greeting, if anything he ever did could be said to be actually warm. I did not expect this pleasure, he said in an oily voice, and with an impressive glance intended to convey deep emotion. She drew back from the hand he offered and wished she could take her eyes from his hateful ones, but she could not. Poor child, he murmured in mock pity. They have told you terrible untruths about me, and you have suffered and find it hard to forgive. But indeed it was none of my fault. I will explain the whole matter, and we can still evade the enemies who are trying to part us and be happy together. Don shuddered. Where can we go that we shall not be interrupted? Suppose we walk in the woods. Don was filled with terror. She looked about wildly and saw to her relief that Daniel, with his special bodyguard in the rear, was sauntering slowly toward her. His attitude of protection gave her courage. He was watching the stranger with a curious suspicion. Had his intuition told him that she needed help? Daniel was but a few steps away. She drew her breath in quickly and spoke in a clear voice. I have no time to talk with anyone at present. I am on my way to school and shall be busy until late in the afternoon. I am a teacher. She drew herself up with dignity, and he realized that she was not the simple child he had last seen, but a woman with an independence of her own. "'Dismiss your school,' he said in the voice he was used to having obeyed. 
I cannot possibly wait until this afternoon. I must talk with you at once. I don't intend to let you slip through my fingers so easily now that I have found you, my pretty lady. He smiled, but there was a sinister menace in his voice. It is impossible to dismiss school, said Don decidedly. I should lose my position if I did a thing like that. Besides, I do not wish to talk with you. There is nothing to talk about. There is everything to talk about, said the man, a fierce light coming into his eyes. They have told you lies about me and taken you away from me, but I mean to have you in spite of them. I will explain to you all about that poor woman. She was never my wife at all. Come, let the school take care of itself. You will have no further need of it. You belong to me, and I will take care of you. Come with me. The last word was a command, and with it he took hold of her shoulder almost roughly and attempted to turn her round. At once there was a low growl behind his heels, and Daniel Butterworth's dog took hold of the calf of his leg as if he too would say, Come with me. Harrington promptly let go of Don, who took advantage of her freedom and fairly flew down the street, leaving Daniel to settle up matters between his dog and the stranger, in whose frightened antics the boy was secretly taking deep delight. When Don had turned the corner and was out of sight, Dan called the dog off. Then Harrington Winthrop discovered that his lady had departed. Before that time he had been otherwise occupied. Angry, baffled, and exhausted, he was in no wise attractive. An interested group of boys and one or two little girls who had torn themselves away from the teacher's side encircled him. Dan looked at him in quiet amusement and then called his dog and betook himself to school. Most of the group followed him with reluctant glances back at the disheveled stranger. One little girl lingered, eyeing him wonderingly and twisting her apron strings. "'Where is your schoolhouse, little girl?' asked Harrington sharply. The child felt compelled to answer. "'Round that there corner over there, and down the road a good piece.' Harrington glanced after the boys and the dog uncertainly. Did the dog go to school also? "'Where does your teacher board?' he asked again. "'She's boarding round, and it's Anne Peabody's turn this week. She's got a boy what's blind in one eye.' "'Ah, indeed. That's a pity.' Where does Anne Peabody live? Next door but one to the church. The house with Johnny jump-ups by the gate, and a laylock bush by the stoop. Thank you. Now tell me what time your school lets out, that's a little lady. It don't let out till four o'clock, but it'll be took up before I get there if I don't hurry. She took to her heels forthwith, and Harrington Winthrop limped up the steps of the Golden Swan, to repair damages and consider his next line of procedure. When Dawn arrived at the schoolhouse, she was almost too frightened to stop. It was late, and most of the scholars were there. They trooped gladly in after her. She made school for them a kind of all-day picnic, and they were eager to begin it. Even after she had hung up her bonnet and cape and opened the high lid of her desk, her heart was beating like a trip-hammer. Now and then she looked apprehensively toward the door and was reassured when at last she saw Daniel saunter in with a comfortable smile on his face while the dog took up his station on the doorstep. Regs often came to school, 
it was a part of his privilege to guard the teacher, and he felt he had earned a morning session by his gallantry in defending her against the rude stranger who had dared to lay hands upon her. He sat down comfortably just inside the schoolroom door, his forepaws hanging over the step, but he kept his head erect. With his nose on his paws and one eye closed, not once during the morning did he relax. He felt that there was further trouble to be expected, and he must be ready. Don smiled, albeit with trembling lips, and set about the morning's routine. But her mind was troubled, and she kept starting and glancing uneasily toward the door. Daniel saw this, and grew grave with apprehension. What had the stranger to do with teacher? And why did she seem to be so uneasy? Had he some power over her? She certainly did not look happy when he laid his hand upon her arm just before he, Dan, had given that low signal to Rags. She couldn't have liked the stranger to be there, or she would not have run away when she got the chance. At recess, she made Daniel happy by calling him to the desk and in a low tone thanking him for helping her. She did not explain further than to say that the man was an old acquaintance whom she did not like. Daniel understood him to be in the same class with Silas Dobson. During the morning session of school, Dawn's mind was in a whirl, trying to think what she should do. She dreaded the coming of the afternoon when school would close and she must go back to Mrs. Peabody's house. Winthrop would certainly search her out. It had been a great mistake to let him know she was the schoolteacher, for though he did not know her assumed name, he could easily find her now. She dreaded any encounter with him. A frenzy of fear had taken possession of her. As the morning went on, she tried to make some plan for escape. No longer was it safe in this vicinity. She must get away and hide from him. Where? Could she ever hope to evade a man who spent his entire time traveling over the earth? He had the assurance of the devil himself, and it was almost hopeless to try to get beyond his grasp. Nevertheless, she must go. The reading class, which recited just before the noon hour, stumbled on its way for once without correction while Dawn planned her next pitiful move. At noon she sent one of the older girls to Mrs. Peabody's to get her bag and a few little things that were lying about the room. She usually kept everything neatly packed in a large bag she had made, everything except her silk dress, which was hung on a nail. This the girl promised to fold nicely and put into the bag. She was to tell Mrs. Peabody that Don had decided to go a day before the time was up, and to thank the lady for all her kindness, and say Don was sorry she could not very well leave to explain it herself. The girl felt honored by the commission and performed it to the letter, wishing the while that she knew where teacher was going a day ahead of time, and resolving to ask her mother to invite the teacher to come to their house ahead of time, too. Rags took up his station on the schoolhouse steps again for the afternoon session, having been abundantly fed from the generous dinner pails and apple pie, doughnuts, and chicken bones. Rags felt it in the air that something was going to happen, but nothing did, and four o'clock came at last. Don had made the scholars write in their copybooks during the last hour of the afternoon. Command you may your mind from play— straggled up and down a whole page in many of the books, while blots grew thick among the words, but no teacher wandered alertly up and down the aisles to watch and to correct, sometimes, oh blessed honor, to sit down and hold the quill pen, or better still, take the dirty little fist of the writer into her own pink hand and guide the writing. 
The teacher sat behind a raised desk lid, diligently writing, and took no heed of notes, or whittling, or even paper balls. Daniel Butterworth finally took Bug Higginson by the collar and stood him up behind the stove, but still the teacher wrote on. It was a letter to the minister she was writing, and her young breast heaved with mingled emotions as she wrote. It was hard to have to leave this first school, where she had been so happy, and where she could still be so happy, if she only had someone to protect her from the man who would probably haunt her through life. She had felt that she must make some brief explanation of her departure to the kind old man who had trusted her, and upon whom it would fall to explain her absence. Dear Dr. Mercer, she wrote, You have been so very kind to me that it gives me much sorrow to tell you that I must go away. Something has happened that makes it necessary for me to go away at once. I cannot even wait to say goodbye to you or to anyone else. I'm so sorry, for I have been very happy here, and I have tried to do my best, and there is the singing school this week and the barn raising where I promised to read them a story after supper, and my dear school. I love them all. Will you please tell everybody how sorry I am to go away like this? You have all been so good to me, and I shall never find a place I love so much as this, I am sure, but I truly cannot help going. If you knew all about it, you would understand. Please thank Mrs. Mercer for the pretty collar she gave me that belonged to your daughter, and tell her I will keep it always. I am sorry to leave you without a teacher, but there is almost a month's pay due me, and perhaps that will help you to get someone right away. So please forgive me for leaving the school just as it was when I got it. I love it, and I wish I could stay. Yours very gratefully, Mary Montgomery. After folding, addressing, and sealing this letter, she closed her desk. Then with sudden thought, as she caught Daniel's troubled eyes upon her, she opened it again and wrote hastily, Dear Daniel, I am having to go away in a great hurry. I cannot say goodbye to anybody, but I must thank you for all that you have done for me. I thank you more than words can ever tell. You cannot know how hard it is for me to go away from the school. Please study hard and try to be a good boy, and then some day, when I hear of what a great man you are, I shall be so proud to have been your teacher. Go to college, Daniel, and be as great a man as you can, and don't forget that you have helped me very, very much ever since I came here. Your grateful teacher. Her hand trembled as she sealed this other note. She closed the desk hastily and glanced at the clock. It was one minute after closing time. Bug Higginson was decorating the stove with a caricature of one of the selectmen. It all looked so homely and familiar and dear, and she was to see it no more. The tears sprang to her eyes, and she could scarcely control her voice to dismiss the school. She shook her head and tried to smile when the girls asked if they might wait for her to walk home, telling them she must stay a little while, that she had something to do. They all filed out save Daniel, who sat quietly in his seat watching her with sad, puzzled eyes. Daniel had seen the glint of a tear as she looked at them. "'Aren't you going home tonight, Daniel?' she asked. She was dreading momentarily the approach of Harrington Winthrop. She seemed to know he would come to walk her home. So did Rags, who sat very stiff and straight on the doorstep with bristling ears and eyes alert. "'Don't you want I should stay?' asked Daniel, and his eyes hinted that he understood she was in trouble. "'Oh, no, thank you, Daniel,' she said, trying to make her voice sound cheery and natural, but somehow it broke into almost a sob. 
Daniel eyed her curiously for a moment, and then got up slowly from his desk and went out. He gave Rags a look as he passed. The boy and the dog thoroughly understood each other. Rags did not stir. Daniel went down the path and out to the road, then down the road a few paces after which he climbed the fence back into the schoolyard. Then he walked over to a log behind the schoolhouse and sat down where he could watch the road to the village. As soon as he was gone, Dawn looked about her, caught her breath a moment and seemed to bid goodbye to all the childish forms that had but a few moments before occupied the now empty benches. Then, spying Rags still in the doorway, she took the note she had written to Daniel and, going over to the dog, tied it round his neck with a bit of string. Rags got up and wagged his tail, glancing eagerly at her, then back to the road again. Dawn patted him lovingly. "'Take that note to Dan, Rags,' she commanded. Rags barked questioningly. He wanted to tell her that he had been ordered to stay with her, but she did not seem to understand. He wagged his tail harder, but he did not budge. "'Co, Rags, good dog. Take that to Dan,' she pointed out the door. Rags cast a protesting, anxious bark at her, a furtive glance down the empty road, and hustled out the door. He reasoned that Dan was near at hand and must settle the confliction of duties himself. He could not but obey the one whom he and his master alike worshipped. The minute the dog had gone, Dawn put on the bonnet, caught up her cape and bag, and slipped out of the door and around the schoolhouse on the side furthest from the village. She fled through the backyard, crept under the lower rail of the fence, and proceeded over into the meadow where they had coasted all winter. In a moment more she was out of sight down the hill. She had but to cross the log which formed a bridge across the brook, and she would enter the woods that lay at the foot of Wintergreen Hill. There she would be safe, and could get away without seen by anyone. Daniel cut the string which held the note and sent the dog back to his post while he slowly unfolded it and read. His hands trembled at the thought that she had written and sealed it, and that it was for him. A great tumult of emotions went through his big immature heart as he tried to take it in. He had known something would happen, and was glad he had not gone away. Rags hustled back to the schoolhouse steps, but instantly he knew something was wrong. He looked into the empty room. She was not there. He smelled his way up to the desk, but could not bring her into existence. He snuffed his way out to the steps and down the path in a hurry, then came back baffled with short, sharp, worried barks to hunt for the scent again. Snuff, 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 bark. Rags could not understand it. Yes, but it was. There was the scent. Snuff, snuff, snuff. Bark, bark. He tried it over again to make sure. The scent went round the left of the schoolhouse through the girls' playground. What could she have gone around there for at this time of day? Had the enemy come during his absence and stolen her away? Rags hurried around the school, snuffing and barking, scuttled under the fence in a hurry and went away down the hill, his bark growing more sure and relieved every minute. Daniel was not accustomed to receiving letters. He grasped the meaning of that first sentence slowly, having lingered long over the dear Daniel. But he got no further than the first sentence. I am having to go away in a great hurry. He got to his feet rapidly and went around to the schoolhouse door. A great fear was in his heart. The absence of rags confirmed it. He entered the deserted schoolroom. No one was there. He stepped up to the teacher's desk. A letter addressed to the minister lay there. 
Daniel stood still by the teacher's desk, his heart filled with foreboding, and read the remainder of his own letter. As he finished, he heard a step outside the door, and looking up, saw the stranger of the morning before him. Instinctively, he reached out for the minister's letter on the desk, and put it with his own into his coat pocket. Then he faced the intruder quietly, and something in his steady blue eyes reminded the man of his morning encounter with the dog. He felt that he had an enemy in the boy before him. Winthrop took off his hat and inquired suavely, "'Is Miss Van Rensselaer here?' "'This is the schoolhouse, isn't it?' "'It's the schoolhouse, all right,' answered Dan. "'But there ain't no Miss Van Rensselaer round. "'Don't know no such person. "'You must have been told wrong.' "'Oh, no. "'I saw her this morning. "'In fact, she must have expected me. "'I refer to the teacher of this school.' "'The teacher's Miss Montgomery.' Miss Mary Montgomery, and she's gone. She boards this week with the Peabodies up by the church, second house beyond. She hasn't been gone from here five minutes. That is very strange, said the visitor. I just walked down past the church and did not meet her. Sometimes she stops a minute to see how the blacksmith's little sick girl is. At the corner here. She might have gone there, but she never stays long. You'd best go right up to Peabody's. Daniel was anxious to get rid of the man, and he was certain that the teacher had not gone in the direction of the Peabody's, for he had watched the road every minute until he came round to the front of the school. Harrington Winthrop took himself away with a baffled look on his imperious face. As soon as he had passed from sight, Dan reconnoitred the schoolyard. There was no sign of anybody. He listened, but could not hear the dog. He gave a long, low whistle, and instantly from the distance toward the woods he heard a faint, sharp bark in answer. He whistled again, and again came the dog's response. Daniel was over the fence in a second and down the hill, not whistling again until he reached the log across the brook. Then the dog's bark was nearer, but it ended suddenly, as if someone was holding his muzzle. The boy thought he understood and bounded rapidly toward the place from which the sound seemed to have come. In a moment more, he had plunged into the darkness of the woods. End of chapter 21 Recording by Melissa Green